This is Navigating Law School Admissions with Miriam and Christy, the live podcast tour edition. After stops in Boston, New York City, and Seattle, we moved on to Los Angeles, California, and we recorded the entire event for you. Hope you enjoy it. Everyone, I'll say a few words and then just get off the stage and let the actual performers get on. But uh, my name is John O'Hara. I'm Gibson Dunn and Crutcher's Chief Recruiting Officer. We are a full service law firm. We do everything under the sun. And so I won't go into that. But if anyone does have questions about what happens after you get into these fantastic law schools and what you want to do, I'm always happy to chat about it. Uh, Welcome to our 53rd floor of our Los Angeles office. This is where we started back in 1890. We're still here. We plan on being here in 2090 and then hopefully longer. Uh, But I I was just telling them, I wish that a podcast like this had had existed when I was coming through. So I went to Chicago. I was waitlisted at Harvard uh, and had no idea what to do. Yeah, didn't even apply to Yale. So I'm a proud Maroon. Chicago's fantastic. You end up there. It's a great time. But um, I wish that I'd had all the insights that you all give on a weekly, monthly, however, frequency basis. So uh, without further ado, please welcome Miriam and Christy. Is this one, oh yeah, it's working. Okay, sorry, I'm very bad at tech. Okay, I'll, oh, I'm starting. Okay, all right, welcome everybody. It's so wonderful to be here with you tonight in LA. Um, uh, I love the city and I don't get to come very much, so this is a good excuse. And we really appreciate that all of you are joining us for this live episode of Navigating Law School Admissions with Miriam and Christy. And a huge thank you to Gibson and Dunn and to John and his team, um, including Courtney Smith, Tommy Lee, and um, Kalina Eng, who were extraordinarily helpful. Um, you should feel free to help yourself to food and cookies. We already have. Um, and we're really appreciative of the space um, and the support. So I'm sure some of you know that Christy and I hosted a podcast together. It was a pandemic project um, that covered a lot of aspects of the law school admissions process. And our goal was really um, to focus less on Harvard and Yale and more just on the the application components um, and to really try to democratize information about the process to make it easier for everyone to be able to apply. And um, so we're excited to be able to do this live. Uh, It's much more fun to be with real humans instead of in our closets and our pajamas, although that has its pros as well. So if you're interested in listening to the podcast, which is much more detailed, you can find it on all the podcast platforms um, and the name is up there. But, you know, tonight we'll go through some of the highlights. So I'll start by letting, then let Christy introduce herself. Hi, everybody. My name is Christy Jopson. I'm the Dean of Admissions at Harvard Law School. I am thrilled to be with you here in Southern California. So when I was a kid, I lived in San Diego for a period of time. And so I have a very strong affinity for this this spot in the world. And um, as Miriam alluded to, it's so lovely to be with you live because we started this out at a very, very different time. And I never even envisioned in that moment in 2020 that one day, we would be doing a live show with you. So it's such a joy to be here. I don't think we even thought anyone would really listen. We were like, oh, we'll put it out there and see what happens. And then it, it was like, it worked out. So we're glad to do it live now. A little about me. So my path to law school had a couple of different twists and turns, but uh, I worked in New York City as a teacher. I was three years between college and law school. And then after law school, I clerked for judges in the Boston area and then worked at a large law firm before coming back to HLS in 2018 as admission dean. That's okay. me. I'm Christy. Okay, so I am Miriam. I'm the other the other half um, of the team, and I'm the dean of admissions and financial aid at Yale Law School. Um, I'm 
an alum of the school as Christy is of uh, Harvard. And I also had a sort of winding path. I'm Canadian, now I'm both, but I was Canadian. I clerked at the Supreme Court of Canada. My justice is actually just a documentary just came out about her, which is, she's amazing. Um, so I just got a uh, note about that today. And then I was a litigator like John and like Christy, I litigated for a while, private sector, public sector, went back to NYU, taught legal research and writing, did career counseling, and then came back to YLS. So I've done a little bit of a lot of things. Um, and this is definitely an amazing job. And one of the best parts is getting to meet all of you. And then some of you, sometimes the people you meet end up are students and that's always like a real thrill. So hopefully that's the case tonight. I'm gonna to walk you through our topics and then we'll kind of go through each of these a little bit. Uh, we will start with a game. If anyone listens to the podcast, they know that we always start with a game. We're gonna ask for volunteers. You will be recorded. You might be on the podcast if you volunteer or if you ask a question. So don't look scared. It's okay, we're, it's, it's a nice game. Um, and then we're gonna go through some key elements. What we're looking for, um, essays, resumes, interviews, transcripts, testing, and letters. And then we'll, we have some pre-submitted questions and then we have a bunch of live, we'll do some live questions too at the end. Okay. Oh, one check in. logistical yes. reminder. So about an hour or so ago, you should have gotten an email that says to check into this event, click to check in here. I see some nods. That means this happened. Okay. Um, if you have any issues checking in, not to worry. Courtney from the Gibson Dunn team has a list and you can just let her know. We'll cross-reference later to make sure you get a post-event email. But um, thanks for thanks for And it doesn't work do with Safari. So those of you with, if you use like Chrome or like a non- Apple browser, it worked. I, that's what my. We're trying a whole new system yes. and we're kind of experimenting with it. But yes, but we'll if, we'll if you're having trouble, more. maybe switch browsers and it might work. Okay. You ready Is it for time a game? for the game? I think it's time for the game. Okay, okay. So I'm leading the game tonight. And our game tonight is a classic Would You Rather? Who's had an opportunity to play this game in their lives? Yeah, all right. Well, maybe you'll get to play At again. Least it's tonight. not truth or dare, right? <laughs> like, <could> we, <laughs> we can get risque, but we're not. Yeah. So, I'm gonna ask a couple of different would you rather questions to Miriam for her to answer. And then I'll answer, I'll offer my thoughts as well. We did not share. We did not. I tried to get her to share one before, but she wouldn't. <laughs> no cheating. And then we're gonna look for two or two volunteers from the audience um, for a prospective student, would you rather? Um, and don't worry, we are not gonna be putting you on the spot of would you rather go to Harvard or Yale? <laughs> now I, you're putting ideas in my mind <laughs> or Chicago but like our trader over there John <laughs> uh, so let's okay. start with um yeah our, our questions okay so Miriam here's my first would you rather for you would you rather have everyone you know be able to read your thoughts or for everyone you know to have access to your internet history a hundred percent internet history interesting like, yeah I think I I'm not that embarrassed. <laughs> it's like a lot of like the Atlantic and you know New York Times, New York Magazine, and I'm very boring. I'm a boring person. My thoughts are not boring, but my internet history is boring. <laughs> Wait, what about you? So, spoiler alert: my entire internet history is just like is Taylor Swift. Yeah, I was gonna say it's like tonight. all Taylor Swift. Yes, I was just thinking that. So I'd probably go with internet history as well. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Next. Would you rather go to business school or medical school? I almost went to medical school, so 100% medical school. I still sometimes wonder, like, should I do it? The real one I want to do, I want to do a PhD in psychology. That's the one I actually really want to do. Okay, but for business versus medical? 100% medicine. I, I think would do psychiatry would be the closest I could get to my PhD in psychology. So if I didn't have to do all of the prerequisites for medical school, yeah. and if I didn't have to actually be a do doctor? a <laughs> I would probably pick medical school because yeah. it would be challenging my brain in a whole new way. Yeah. Definitely the path of least resistance though is business 100% school. business school is the path of least resistance. Yes, there's, there's, there's that. Yep. Okay, next. 
in your capacity as admissions dean at Yale Law School, yes. as you're thinking about applicants, I'm feeling if you very had right to now. give one of these components of the application up, uh -huh. would you rather give up transcripts or test scores? Test scores. Same. And to be clear, we can't. We'll talk about why later. <laughs> I had to choose and I could 100% test scores. You just get so much rich information from yes. a transcript. I, cannot, I can't imagine an application without a transcript. I can definitely imagine yes. an application without a test score. Agreed, 100%. Okay, if you're not going to medical school, would you rather be a law school professor or a practicing lawyer again? Okay, so this one is hard because I thought about this a lot. If I could be a law professor and didn't have to write articles, I would, I love teaching. I would do that for sure. So maybe like clinical professor, although now they mostly have to write articles too. I would probably go back to practicing rather than have to write law review articles, which would, makes me sad because I love teaching so much. I would definitely go back to being a practicing lawyer. Yeah. You always talk about that. Yeah. yeah. I might. <laughs> okay, like at some point I'm going to retire and teach legal research and writing like on an, on an adjunct basis again because then you can teach and you don't have to write, write the articles and you get to teach okay last I'm, one. I'm conflicted on that one clearly last one would you <gasps> rather party with your boss Dean Gherkin or my boss Dean Manning are there tequila shots involved it depends it depends on the party it depends on who I feel like I have to be loyal to to Dean Gherkin and and she's an amazing cook Ooh. Um, and baker and so whenever she has like parties at her house they're so lovely and she cooks everything so i'm going to say i would do dinner party with dean gherkin nice i'm also going to be loyal and pick dean manning i, I think it would have been if i had picked dean manning would you have picked dean gherkin no <laughs> can you imagine if it was two votes for i know dean we are recording we are recording yes <laughs> yes but i i actually love um I, I love when i get to hang out with with dean gherkin Okay, now it's your turn. Okay, so we're who? looking for two volunteers and you're gonna come up here. You're gonna be on the mic. You're so if going you don't to wanna be, be on recorded. the podcast, maybe this isn't the volunteer opportunity for you. Okay. Two volunteers, Miriam, you pick, I'm gonna get the mic. I'm pick, I love your glasses. Yes, you're coming up, okay. Don't all jump at once. Okay, two right in front of me. I feel like I shamed you with my eyes. <laughs> uh, you don't have to do last names, but could you just introduce yourself first name? I'm Layla. Oh, oh. Oh. I'm Layla. Okay. And who else have we got? I'm Jamie. Okay. Layla and Jamie. Okay. So if you could only choose between one or the other extreme, you can apply to three schools or you have to apply to 30. What would you do? I'm going to say three. I like it. Confident, decisive. I also think three. I can't do 30. And, and which three? No. <laughs> to Harvard and Yale. Oh, we'll throw in Chicago for John. <laughs> okay, good. All right. So we have, we've been more consistent. Last night we disagreed on everything and so did the folks up there, but I think today we have more consistency. Okay. Would you rather write a law school essay about your favorite pair of pants or your favorite pair of shoes? I think there's only one right answer. Shoes. To this. shoes. For sure. For sure. Shoes. Yeah. Shoes. Like yeah. That seems like the right choice to me. Okay. Ooh, I like this one. Would you rather spend a day shadowing your choice of Supreme Court justice from breakfast to dinner or have lunch with them every day for a week? Um, every week. I mean, the whole week. You want seven lunches. Mm -hmm. Why? Um, just in case I forget any questions, I can Ooh, ask them again the next yes, day. Yes, that's so smart. Yep, I love it. Okay, Layla. I would probably do shadow them for a day. You want like a yeah. day in the life. Yeah, I want to 
I want to see what the routine is outside of the professionalism of a lunch. All right. I like it. All right. I like this one. Would you rather submit a letter of recommendation from a professor who gave you your worst grade or from a supervisor who fired you? (laughs) You have no choice. You're stuck with bad options. Professor from my worst grade. Why? Um, I don't, I'm not that embarrassed of my worst grade and I don't think that it would be a bad letter. Sometimes good letters come from people who gave you bad grades, actually. I would say my professor with the bad grade. Yeah, same thing. Okay, last one. Oh, we've both read these. Would you rather read an addendum that details someone's digestive issues or dental issues? Digestive or dental? Digestive or dental? I feel like digestive would be really gross, so I'll go dental. It is. It is pretty gross. Dental can be gross too. Dental can be really gross. Um, I would say digestive. Wow. Why? Um, You're curious? Yeah, we're curious. And I know, I think we don't see what goes on inside the body. We only see out. So. Okay. I like it. You want the inside scoop? Okay. Thank you. Round of applause. Curious now. Very serious, very quickly. All right, so we thought we would ground this discussion by telling you a little bit about what we're looking for and what we're thinking about and what we want to see in an application. Big mystery. Exactly. What are they looking for, yep. And the different elements or components of an application are designed to help us answer what we think of as three big buckets of questions. So first, we're looking for applicants who are going to be successful students at our law schools. So we're thinking about your academic ability, and that's generally reflected by your academic record in undergrad or any graduate programs, performance on standardized tests, your writing abilities as demonstrated in all of your written materials, what your professors have to say about you, and the like. The second big thing we're looking for is people who are going to contribute to our communities at law school in meaningful ways, and also in the community truly globally across the world. To think about that, we look at your background and your experiences and how you've already contributed in your classroom and community, your extracurricular activities, any work you've engaged in, and that helps us us get a sense of your professional potential. And and your written materials, once again, are a really helpful way for us to consider um, how, how you will be as a community member. The final one, and I think this doesn't get enough attention often, um, is don't underestimate the importance of being an educator. Uh, we both care about creating communities that are gonna be like nice places for people to be a part of for three years. We want people who are collegial and respectful and humble and can have conversations with people they disagree with in a way that is appropriate and um, you know is open-minded. And so most of the time people come across that way in their applications, sometimes they don't. Sometimes there's these hints in the application or sometimes in the interview or sometimes occasionally in the way people will treat us or our staff, where we're like, ooh, like this is not great. This is someone who people are gonna say, oh, you know, why did you admit them? You know, they're not nice. And that does happen, I think, to both of us, rarely, but occasionally. So just make sure that you're thinking about that. We know this is a really stressful process, but it's really important that you, um, you know, what's the old adage, like treat people the way you wanna be treated. Make sure that you're being thoughtful about that throughout the process as well. Okay, we're gonna start digging into those individual components. Beginning with essays. Yes, this is, I think, maybe my favorite part. Yes, the essays, but yes. And it's uh, one of my favorite components to discuss with prospective students because we really get so much out of them and we know that you 
put a lot into them. Um, and as much work as it takes to draft an effective law school essay, I hope that once you've pressed submit and this is all in the rear view, you look back on this time as a really important moment in, and in a really important inflection point in your career. Essays, I think, can help you really crystallize why you're doing this in the first place and where you've been and where you think you might want to go. All right, so let's jump into some of the basics, length and formatting. Most law school essays are really quite short, typically two pages, one page. Some law schools will let you go a little bit further than that. For yeah. both Harvard and Yale, you won't submit an essay that's any more than two pages. That's so correct. it's not a ton of real estate. Two pages, double space. Two pages, double space. Double normal space. fonts, um, 12 point fonts, really no smaller than 11. Typical I margins. Say, I disagree. 12 point font, please, please, for our eyes. 12 point font. Um, yeah, you're, and especially the double spacing, your eyes as you read yes. so many applications struggle so hard with single spacing. Um, I will say this is an area, um, both in terms of formatting and in terms of uh, content, that can really differ from school to school. So we'll say this a bunch of times, but always read the application instructions really carefully. Uh, we actually, we were talking about this earlier today. This is what nerds we are. This is what we talk about. I was just saying, oh, I'm so glad we added these in in uh, extra details to our application instructions about putting headers on your essays, like put your name, what essay is it, your LSAC number on it. It just makes it when you're like flipping through like a, a long document, I'm going, I'm waving my finger because I'm flipping on my hypothetical iPad, which is what I used to read. Um, it just makes it so much easier where if you stop, you're like, oh, this is the personal statement I was looking for. It's like the little things that actually matter quite a lot. So read the instructions, think about the reader uh, whenever you're putting together these materials. And reading the instructions carefully is, is especially important this year because so many law schools have changed the prompts for those essays. Um, applications opened about six weeks ago at the point that we are recording. Most law schools open somewhere between September 1 and October 1. So if you are looking at law school essay instructions, you've probably seen that there's a lot of new prompts this year and a lot of new um, optional essay opportunities more short answer essay as opposed to a, a page long or multi-page essay and a lot of new essay prompts. So we thought we would each share a bit about our new essay prompts and what we're yep. looking for this year. Yeah, so at YLS, we always had two mandatory essays and those haven't changed. It's the personal statement, which is sort of a, a fairly, not at all schools and, and Christy will talk more about Harvard, but is a fairly standard essay. And then we had our sort of infamous 250 word essay, uh, which is about an idea or issue that was a, you know, a particular interest to you. This year, what we've done is we've, um, we have four optional essays. You can pick zero or one. We don't want people writing more than one. It's just, I think, too much work for you to, to write and too much probably for us on our end as well. And we spent sort of the summer thinking and talking internally about the school's core values and the things that we wanted um, to see if there was alignment on with applicants. And so each essay is centered on one of those core values, which are um, community involvement and contribution, um, sort of accomplishments, leadership, innovation, uh, determination and resilience, and open-mindedness. And each one has the format of describe an example and then discuss, maximum of one page double space. And I will say having now read a bunch, my worry ahead of time was that that wouldn't be enough space to have an essay that sort of did all the things we were asking it to do, it is enough space. I love these essays. They have been extremely helpful. Some of them are absolutely spectacular. It's much more structured than what we've had in the past. And I think having those guardrails in that direction has really helped applicants um, write better essays that, that have been really, really fun to read. So um, I hope you enjoy them. Uh, we've been getting good feedback so far and uh, we've def I've definitely enjoyed reading them. I've read a couple hundred already.
And at Harvard, we also completely re-envisioned our essay requirements this year. And to conceptualize essay prompts that would help us communicate to you what we're hoping to hear. And also hopefully help you uh, think about what topics you might choose. So this year, all applicants to HLS will submit two required essays. One is called a statement of purpose, and one is called a statement of perspective. Each is at least one full page and no more than two. So one to two pages long. We have no preference between one to two pages. Sometimes a really, really impactful one page essay is actually more powerful than one that kind of dribbles on to page two unnecessarily. The statement of purpose prompt asks you to reflect on um, why you want to go to law school and how attending law school is going to fit in with your goals and your ambitions and your vision for the future. The statement of perspective prompt asks you to share more about you and your background and interests and experience um, and how those aspects of yourself will shape how you engage the law school community and in the legal profession. Not to speak for Christy, but you once said one is more like backward or sort of past and one is more future. And I thought that was a really nice way to describe yeah. them. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Well, I remember it, being like, oh, that's cool. I like that. The statement of purpose, of course, can touch on things in your past, but is sort of thematically more future oriented, um, more looking forward. And then the statement of perspective is somewhat more reflective yeah. and, and thinking about where you've been and where you are now. Um, and we've only been reading for a couple short weeks. We're just a few weeks just into at the beginning of the season. mountain. We're climbing up. But, but so far, I think I can speak for all, all seven members of my team who read and say, we're really excited about these prompts. We feel like um, the essays that we're receiving are much more focused and directed. Um, and we've read so many statements already that work well, not just as independent pieces of writing, but as pieces of writing that complement one another and really help augment everything else in the application. So as you're crafting these essays, um, for any school, make sure that the essays are really responsive to the prompts themselves. And as we said already, for a lot of schools, the prompts have really become a bit more specific this year. Sometimes the essay you draft um, could be responsive to all manner of prompts. You might be able to use the same essay for um, you know, one of the Yale optional essays, and it could also be your statement of perspective. It kind of depends on the topic. Other times you might have a essay that, that is kind of your core essay, but you finesse or edit it to fit in with the prompts. And then other times, it's just best to start with start a blank scratch. new Word document yes. and really think about reflecting on the prompts and, and crafting something that you might even only submit to one particular school. Um, yeah, this is not, the essays are not the place to cut corners or to rush or to say, oh, I'm just gonna submit a week earlier and take the extra time and make sure that they're really good. They can really be like make it or break it. Um, they can even really elevate an application or sometimes they're just, they're, they're a dud. And they really, it's, it's sad to read them and you're, there's so much potential in other places and you're like, I wish they'd taken more time to really finesse these and think about them a little bit more. So just some general advice on topic picking. Um, it's hard to talk about these things in the abstract because it's so individual and there's so many different essays. Just make sure that you're telling us things we wouldn't otherwise know. If you're just recapping your resume or just, you know, briefly describing your thesis, which is, you know, elsewhere in your application, it's not additive. You want to make sure that the essays are additive. Um, I always give my book analogy, uh, which is, it's, I get asked this question a lot about whether you should talk about the same topic or different topics. And I kind of liken it to like a short story collection, which is when each story is maybe thematically connected, obviously written by the same person, but really totally different topics. That's a great approach for some people. For some people, it's more like a textbook. 
every chapter is about a different aspect of the same topic. And it's sort of like deepening your understanding as you go of that central thing. Either one, they both have pros and cons. They both have potential weaknesses and potential strengths. Whatever works for you is fine, but be thoughtful about making sure that everything adds value. Don't try to stand out. I, that's the most common question we get. How do I stand out? Often what's most memorable are things that are bad, like digestive issues or dental issues or all sorts of like, like you know, essays about people's shoes or you know, whatever cuckoo things people do. You don't need to stand out. You need to be the best version of yourself. You need to focus on being authentic uh, to who you are, to making sure we see the person that you are right now and where you want to go and just polish it and make it tight. Minimize the No typos if you can. If you find a typo later, don't freak out. Minimize the typos, make it clean, follow instructions. That's always really impressive when it feels like people have maximized um, and really put their best foot forward. Yeah, it's not the moment to shock and awe. Um, and you, you don't want to have an essay that's just living rent-free in our brains no. two years later no. um, or, or haunt us in the future. Yes, yes. And, and to paraphrase Taylor Swift, you don't want to give us something that will haunt haunt us when you're not around. <laughs> I actually, so Christy can talk in Taylor Swift lyrics at all times. <laughs> On this trip, I did it for the first time and it was really good. I'm so proud. What, what was it that I, you said, well, you play stupid games. Yes, you, you win, win stupid, stupid prizes. I did, and it was for a perfect situation. I, I really felt like, you know, like a Jedi Knight and my Yoda was like, good job. And I was like, <laughs> I did it, thank you. So it was very exciting for me. All right, so I think that's enough on essays for now. To close out by saying that the essays are a really amazing opportunity for us to hear from you, about you in your own voice. Yes. So our next topic is resumes, and we obviously have some resume pros here. So if they disagree with anything, they can they can pipe up. Um, so as a former career counselor, I saw many many resumes and reviewed them. So I have strong feelings about them to say to say you know this may be the, the weakest way to say it. So I want to start by saying what's the purpose of this resume? Um, in general, I always think of a resume as a marketing document, and the product is you. You're trying to sell yourself to the reader. It has to be extremely accessible. If you looked at your own resume for 30 seconds, what are the things that would pop off the page? That's usually how long someone's looking at your resume. If you get 60 seconds look at your resume, you're lucky. It's a very quick thing. And this is the one place where you can use bolding and underlining or italics to kind of make things pop. And you should really think about the organizational structure of it. And some words that I like to use, it should be curated, it should be clean, it should be crisp. Those are those like are the kind of things that you should be, you should be having those guiding words as you're writing your resume. Zooming out a bit, you will in life have multiple resumes. So depending on an industry or maybe even a market within an industry, uh, there's different conventions. Your law school application resume might be slightly different than what you would submit for a job. And that is kind of the way of the world moving forward. You will probably go through life with multiple versions of your resume. And just to give like the smallest example on that, like whether you put your address, might depend on whether you're local to the job. You know, if you're applying to a job on the West Coast and you're living in the East Coast, maybe you don't need your address. Whereas if you're applying to a job in, you know, Kansas and you're living there, you probably do to signal that you're local, you know the community. So even, even just like little tiny things like that, you should be really thoughtful about with a resume. Okay, so some formatting basics. Um, standard font, reasonable font size. I will allow you 11 point font for your resume only. Um, but really no smaller than 11. Otherwise it's really impossible to get anything from it. Standard margins, a minimum of half an inch, I think for a resume versus one inch for a normal essay. You want some white space. That's what makes things jump out is that there's some white space around them. So don't make it so squished that it's hard to see anything. Nothing fancy for the legal industry. No 
photos, no colors, no icons, no images. It's a very small C conservative profession and you want your resume to resonate with the profession that you're trying to go into. Um, on the sometimes controversial- Always question, controversial. Always controversial, controversial question. question of length. Yes. We strongly recommend one to two pages. Most successful applicants are submitting a one page resume. That's really much more typical. Um, a, going on to a second page or doing a full two page resume is fully acceptable, um, but query, think very carefully of whether you need that additional space. Um, it's pretty rare for a law school applicant to really more than one page. Our resumes are still one page. Yes. So if we can do it, you too, you too can have a one page resume. Um, and the key touchstones are really recency and relevance. So the more recent, the more relevant, the more space it typically takes up. Um, the less recent, the less relevant, or both irrelevant and far in the past, the less space it'll take Just up. Just dump it at that point. And if it's not recent or relevant, time to go. Yeah. So in terms of content, um, you pro all probably know this, that there are two really required primary sections of the resume. Um, for law school, it's gonna be first education, then experience. You might get to a point in your career where you flip those and education goes at the bottom. I just reached, I worked yes. on my resume this summer because I was like, all right, it's time to update this. And I, this was my first time flipping education to the yes. bottom. I, I depends on the job. When I applied to higher ed, I kept education on top. When I was applying into professional jobs at my stage, I put experience on top. So it, it can also be on, you know, context specific. Um, remember that a really key purpose of the resume is for the reader to see the chronology of what you've done. So having only two sections is really helpful for that because it makes it easy to interweave the things that you've done. Um, I had a, you know, a supervisor of mine at NYU, a faculty member, he was like, it's impossible. He's like, I hate when there's like six different sections. He's like, I can't figure out when people did what and whether there's any gaps. So if you're having more sections than that, really think about whether it's hindering one of those purposes. So breaking up, for example, experience into volunteer and legal and whatever, then all of a sudden you're like glancing, trying to put together the chronology. And I don't know that that's actually helpful. Um, if there are major time gaps, which sometimes there are, think about the best way to fill those. Sometimes you can just have a resume entry where it's like caregiving or, you know, parenting. And like, that can be a totally reasonable thing to do for some people. Sometimes you need an addendum. Um, sometimes if it's an educational interruption, there's a question on the application, but be thoughtful about whether if there's a substantial um, gap, what the best way is to fill it if you can. In addition to those two key sections, education ex and experience, some resumes will have other more kind of optional sections. For example, you may have seen resumes that include a section for publications or selected speaking engagements, languages, interests, skills. I think for the law school application process, the adage is less is more. And think very carefully about whether having an additional section really adds something that the reader needs to know. One um, omnibus section that can sweep in a lot of different things is using personal. And that could cover everything from important language skills yeah. to fun interests that you wanna share. That's right. And all of this is context specific. It's not like a one rule fits all. If you are talking in your application about wanting to be an academic, maybe having a selected publication section makes sense for you. If you're talking about being a public defender, I don't know that we need to have selected publications in exactly the same way. So it, like everything we say, we're, we're talking in generalities, but there are many, many exceptions that prove the rule. And so you should really think about the best way to market yourself. I think that's the one thing that's true for everyone. All right, next component is interviews. I like interviews. I like interviews too. Um, yeah. So not all law schools conduct interviews. Um, 
as part of the application process, as you've probably seen already. And the law schools that do take a lot of different approaches. Some might have you submit a pre-recorded video. Some will do an interview uh, through a platform like Kira, where a question sort of is Kira. asked to you and it's recorded. Oh, so, so some, many will... more of you will become familiar with Kira. It like spits out questions and you have to record yourself. Others will have a live interview, um, typically with a member of the admissions staff, um, potentially another community member at the law school, but usually a member of the admissions staff. Um, some interviews might be in person, but I think that's pretty rare, especially yeah. in this day and age. Schools also differ in their optionality of interviews. There will be some schools that allow you the opportunity and everybody has the opportunity um, and it's fine if you do or you don't. Um, some schools will do interviews by invitation, HLS um, and, and YLS both do interviews by invitations. Um, and yeah, there's one big difference I think between the way we, oh, there's many differences, but one of the key differences in terms of the structure is that HLS, you can't get in unless you're interviewed. It is like a required component. So you'll get an interview if you're moving to that stage. Um, at YLS, it is not. It is neither necessary nor sufficient for admission. And there's a, a lot, I, I never took college logic, but I like to pretend I did. Um, so we will hit a stage in the review process where there'll be a, a whole group of people who were, were really seriously considering. Getting an interview is a great sign. It means you're in a group or seriously considering, uh, but we just don't have the bandwidth right now to interview everyone. Um, we're sort of in the second year of a pilot program where we're testing things out. And so uh, not everyone that we admit um, is, is interviewed. So don't stress if you don't get an interview. Okay. How do you prep? How do you prep? So know yourself so and you get one of these amazing interviews for a school that you're excited about. How do you get ready? So knowing yourself is really important and also knowing your application materials. You are likely to get at least one question, maybe more, that um, asks you to share a little bit more about something you've already shared. So remember what you wrote your essays about, right? So if you wrote about, your, yeah, about the urgency of climate change, you get a question asking you to say more about it and you have that moment of, wait, how does, what did I say that? You didn't prepare, right? So know your application materials. You'd be shocked with that forth. happens. It does. I know it sounds like crazy, but yes. It's, it's not, the, the moment in the interview is not the moment to try to like dig back and try to remember exactly what you did and didn't share in your application materials. I am a huge believer in mock interviews, maybe because I used to do a million mock interviews. And I, I do think that my, my feedback from students is that they found it really helpful and anxiety reducing. Even if it's not the same questions, just that being in the moment, being forced to think on your feet in that way is really is really helpful. So if you have a pre-law advisor or a friend or you know a family member who you think you can even just give them a list of questions you want them to practice with you, I think that can be great. At YLS, we will give you every potential question in advance. Um, we do that to level the playing field. We think it helps people who may have had less interview practice or may be an introvert or just feel less comfortable. Hopefully it gives everyone the chance to be equally prepared. So, um, and I think there's a lot of websites out there where you can see a lot of the questions that schools are using that can give you a good way to practice. Um, I always suggested this for um, job interviews and I think it's equally true for law school. You'll often get questions that are in the framework of, tell me about a an accomplishment you're especially proud of, or tell me about a time um, you know, when you had a setback and how you overcame. To prepare for questions like that, there are a specific category of question where the way you behaved in the past is supposed to predict how you behave in the future. That's why we, people ask them. Uh, look at your resume. Every major entry there, you should have an anecdote in your head. What, what's one thing that if I get asked about this specifically, or I get asked one of these generic questions, I can have like a bank of anecdotes of things I'm excited about or things where I you know, overcame or whatever it might be. 
it will really, really, really help. Otherwise, sometimes you come up with the most random things with one of those questions because you're like, oh gosh, the first thing that pops into your head. If you have that little bank prepared, you're going to be in great shape. A leadership challenge that you faced, a time where Teamwork. you had an ethical dilemma. Yes. A, a time where you felt like you made the wrong decision and you wish you had made a different decision. A mistake and what you learned from it. Just if you have one thing from each, some positive and some challenging, you will be in great shape for most of those questions. It's also useful to take some time to research the school itself. No one is going to expect you to have like a deep exhaustive knowledge of the CV of this or that professor, but you should have some sense of why that school excites you. You're going to be asked some variation of the question, why do you want to go to Harvard Law School? Why do you want to go to Yale Law School? Yeah. And don't say, I want to live on the West Coast. That happened once where someone just was like, well, I really want to live in blah, blah city. And I was like, oh, that's nowhere close to here. This, I just, my heart dropped. Like, in, and I, and you know, it just was very, I think a nervous moment, but just, yeah, know where it is, know what you're excited about have that prepared. And it can be kind of fun if you're, if you are a nerd like me, it can be really fun to poke through, of course, catalog, clinical offerings, just to get a sense of kind yeah. of what's happening at yeah. that school. Read the news articles, like all these websites have tons of, you know, I was so excited about this clinic. I saw this recent thing that they did that seems so amazing. It would be so awesome to get to work on a project like that. Just so as you did your research and that you're prepared um, and kind of know what you'd be getting yourself into. Okay. So much for interviews. So much for interviews. Now we're going to get into what everyone is like, oh, the wah, wah part, sort of the GPA and the LSAT. Um, so we're going to do those um, as, as sort of like our last two big things. So transcripts. I did not say GPA. I said transcripts because you were all much more than a bottom line GPA and more than your test score. Uh, and so we really look very carefully. This is why we both said we would rather, you know, if we, if we had to choose only one, we would choose the transcripts because they are a very rich data source of information. Um, and we will look carefully at the transcript, not just at that GPA number to get a sense of your academic abilities. So some of the basics, you're gonna have to provide a transcript from every um, college and university that you've attended in the US and abroad. Um, that includes um, community college, whether it was dual enrolled or whether you started as many, many folks in California do. There's a ton of people who started community college and then move into four-year programs. It's one of my favorite things actually, I think, all states should have an amazing system of community colleges like California does. And you're all very lucky um, to be in a state that has that, but you're gonna have to provide those to us and we will look at it. Even if you attended for a course or two, even if you transferred, you're gonna have to send them all to LSAC and your graduate transcripts too. So once you submit all these transcripts through LSAC and that's the Law School Admission Council. Who knows about LSAC? You will all know about LSAC soon if you don't already. But did you know that it's, it's, you're supposed to say LSAC and not LSAC, even though I still say LSAC all the time. You still say LSAC. I, Christy's usually right and I'm wrong, but in this one, I like to gloat that I was right and she was wrong. Thank you for giving me that. I appreciate it. My Yoda, my, my Taylor Swift Yoda. <laughs> so after you submit all these transcripts, LSAC will verify the authenticity of the transcripts, and then they will calculate a cumulative GPA for your undergraduate record across all of the institutions that you attended. For transcripts outside of the United States or Canada, they will do an assessment of the transcript as a whole and tell admissions officers their assessment and characterize it as superior or above average or average or the like. Submit your transcripts well in advance, particularly those non-US, non-Canadian transcripts because it does take LSAC slash LSAC a good amount of time to process them and to have them ready for the review. The good news is that once you've submitted it through LSAC, 
it's there and you can just kind of pop it off to each of the different schools that you're applying to. Yeah. So what are we actually looking for when we're looking closely at these transcripts? I mean, the, the past is prologue is sort of the deal here. If you were a good student before, you're likely to be a successful student again. And so we want to look at it carefully um, to get a sense of it. Um, you should not worry about little things like one lower grade or two that's not part of your pattern or a withdrawal or two. Everyone has like rough spots and that's totally fine. So don't get caught up in the little things, but it is a really important part of our assessment of academic ability. Um, there's a lot of things that help us contextualize the transcript. Um, and a, one part of that is how you perform relative to other students at your school. Um, and I know there's a lot of talk online about, oh, it's not fair. My school doesn't have A pluses and other schools do. And there are ways for us to be, first of all, we, we get that and we're, we're very aware of which are the A plus schools and which aren't. But the, there's this thing called the CAS report, the Credential Assembly Service Report, which LSAC creates. Um, and that can really help us contextualize our performance. And I make Christy talk about it because I always mix things up when I talk about it. Sure. So the Credential Assembly Service or CAS report tells us a percentile ranking of your GPA as compared to law school applicants over recent years who also attended that school. Um, so essentially, what percentage of students graduated with a GPA that's higher than yours or lower than or yours? The report also tells us the percentile breakdowns among different sections of um, the, the GPA. So in other words, what percent of students at the school received a 4.0 or up as their graduating GPA or between a 3.6 and a 3.79, et cetera. And we use these as a measure of not only your performance relative to others, but also to get a sense of the grade inflation at your yeah. school. And it helps us put your performance in context. You will not be surprised to learn that even over the last five, six years, grade inflation has substantially increased. Even right? the six years we've been yes. in the job. Yes, so there's schools that you see so many transcripts from. And when you look at the percentage of students graduating with a 4.0, it has increased just in five years. And when sometimes we'll get really old transcripts from like 2005, 2006, and it's like shocking um, how, how much lower on the whole the GPAs were at that time. So the other thing that the CAS report does that's really nice is it um, sets out sort of a, an assessment of the LSAT score profile for your school. So what percentage of people scored in the you know, 95th to 99th percentile and the 90th to 94th percentile? And that is one way to assess the rigor of the institution. So you know, there, if a school is 50% are, are getting a 95th and up um, on the LSAT, that's different than a school where 40% you know, are in zero to 19. So it can really get us get a sense of, of sort of the one way to, to assess sort of the, the rigor of the institution. And whether you're overperforming or outperforming exactly. your cohort. Exactly. Okay, another thing that is important it, to help us assess rigor is we look at the classes you took. Are you taking um, you know, more harder classes as you get more senior? That's the kind of thing we'd like to see. You're taking graduate level classes. Are you taking a wide range of classes? Is something nice that shows an intellectual curiosity? Are there any great trends? Are you one of those folks who you know, started STEM and then were like, uh-oh, I'm not into this. And then you switch, we totally get it, no big deal. And then all of a sudden you're performing amazingly once you get into your final major, the major that you choose. So we really look at those things or the reverse. Do you have a downward grade trend? So as things got harder, you started to struggle. And that's obviously not a good sign um, in the same way. Um, graduate school transcripts, we assess sort of in the same way, uh, even though those are not the GPAs that have to be reported, we still care about them quite a lot because we are graduate programs and they can be very helpful. So sometimes a really strong graduate record can help 
can kind of make up for a weaker undergraduate record, particularly if that weaker undergraduate record is, is further in the rear view. Um, often it can feel like the more recent graduate record is a better indicator of somebody's academic potential now. Uh, on the other hand, a weaker graduate record can kind of dull the impact of that really strong undergraduate record and have the admissions officer think kind of what happened here, right? Um, okay, Who, we're gonna turn to everyone's favorite topic, standardized testing. We know you've just been waiting with bated breath for this moment. Um, so basically for standardized testing, um, that's the LSAT or the GRE. Um, and I guess as a threshold matter, we're gonna just explain why we're asking for these tests. Since clearly both of us are like, eh, we can maybe live without it. Why are we asking for these test scores in the first place? So uh, there's two big reasons. Number one, we have to. The American Bar Association that accredits law schools has various standards that every accredited law school must follow. Standard 503 requires all accredited law schools to utilize a quote, valid and reliable test as part of their admissions process. And the law, uh, law school admission council administers the LSAT, ETS administers the GRE, the American Bar Association slash ABA, lots of- uh, Lots of horrible, <laughs> if you're a lawyer, you're gonna get used to acronyms, yeah. Um, the ABA has said both of these tests count as valid and reliable for purposes of the standard. There's been a lot of conversation over the past few years and particularly in the last year about schools potentially going test optional. That is not an option right now for accredited schools. It's not an option to go test, test optional. And that is dead in the water right now. Yes, so, so there's been some proposals yeah. that have been considered by the ABA over um, the past five, 10 years and yeah. then kind of a big effort in the last year to potentially uh, amend standard 503. But for right now, as Miriam said, it's very dead in the water. There's no serious challenge to the standardized test requirement. If you're planning on applying to law school in the coming years, you will likely be taking either the LSAT or the GRE. And if you're deciding between the two, I really recommend looking for some free resources to noodle around a couple of different um, practice problems. Your public library should have test prep books. If you're at a university, they'll probably have some test prep books. Don't write in them or anything because you got to return them to the library, but you can kind of write on some scratch paper, try it out. There's also online resources like Khan Academy Khan and some others. Very good for the LSAT. And whichever test you choose, give yourself a lot of time to really knock it out of the park. So that, that's big reason one, we're required to do the, uh, to have a standardized test and either the LSAT or the GRE counts. The second big reason is that why law schools ask for a standardized test, it provides us one data point as to your academic potential. So when we take your test score in the appropriate context and look at it alongside your undergraduate record, it can help us understand your academic abilities. And if there's further context that you want an admissions officer to keep in mind as they're looking at your standardized test scores, you have the opportunity at most schools to provide that context in a short, concise addendum. So just to speak very briefly about addendum, and then I'll talk about test score addendums in a little bit more detail. An addendum is appropriate if and only if the following conditions are met. If there is a significant external event, something that you could not have controlled, that has a major impact on an important part of your application. Um, and it's not covered elsewhere in your application. So that's sort of like a four-part test and you have to meet all of them, I think, to get to a point where an addendum is adding value. With the test, uh, I think it's rare for it to meet all four of those. Um, you know, They tend to come in the flavor of, well, I was practice testing higher and I feel like for technical reasons or some other reason, I just didn't do as well. That always raises the question of, well, why didn't you retake it? 
if you were really sure and confident that you were going to do better, you probably should have retaken it. And I say that not lightly because I understand the money, the time, the emotional lift that it is to retake it. But if you're at the point of writing an addendum about it, you should probably be thinking about just leaving the addendum off or retaking it. Um, so that's one. The other kind is I did, I did worse and then I did better through study. That's the obvious. Like that's like, yes, that's what happens when you study more, your test nerves go down. You don't need it unless it's like an enormous score jump or it's kind of like, what the heck happened there? If it's like three, four points, we're always like, yes, good job, you did it. And don't be stressed if your score goes down. That also happens. It's a test that has a plus or minus four score range. So if you get a 164, that's really a 160 to 168. If you take it, it goes down to a 162. That's completely within the, the range of what's absolutely normal. Don't stress about it. We don't view those scores as like especially distinct. Many, many, many people at both of our schools have applied with multiple LSAT scores or multiple GRE scores. Um, if you're considering whether or not to retake, know that as Miriam said, most people don't actually have a major score jump. Most people score, it's a, it's a valid and reliable test. So most, most people score about what they previously scored. Absent some um, unusual circumstance. A few final thoughts on testing. Study hard, do your best, give yourself lots of time to prepare, but try not to over-index on the LSAT or the GRE because you are a lot more than your test score. We know that, and we hope you know that too. Okay, so this is, I think, our final topic and probably my second favorite after essays. So this is, um, we're, we're ending on a highlight, which is letters of recommendation, um, which are just a really interesting part of the application because it's the one time we're hearing from someone that's not you. And so it gives us a very different lens are and um, they can be really fun to read. Some of them are funny, some of them are really moving. Um, and it's always nice when you see a recommender who's clearly going to bat for the applicant. You can just feel it in the letter that they are saying, I am putting my credibility on the line for this person. You must take them, they are fabulous. And that really resonates when you're reading these letters. So who should you ask? The who is a, is a big important first question. Generally, you wanna look for people who know you well in an academic context. You are applying to school, we care most about people who know you in school and know how you're gonna perform in school, what they're gonna say. Those contexts can include the classroom, um, sometimes multiple classes, office hours, um, RAing, TAing, people who supervise a major academic project like a thesis um, or you know, a capstone project. Those are all great academic contexts. And both of our schools have very strong preferences for academic recommenders where possible. And that's for a good reason. You are applying to school. So we are very interested to hear what you're like in school from people who know you in that academic context. But there are there may be law schools that have different preferences. Yes. So just uh, to say once again, follow the guidance from individual schools. We're really only speaking for Harvard. Yeah. Uh, so how should you choose? If you're in the very lucky position, and we know some people are and some aren't, many of you were impacted by COVID. Some of you may have gone to really large schools where it's harder to develop uh, relationships. We totally get that context and we pay a lot of attention to it. But some people may have, a bunch of people that they could ask. So how might you choose between them? Um, people who know you in more senior classes at an upper level tend to be more helpful because it's more sophisticated work. They knew you at a later stage in your academic career. Um, classes where the skill set lines up well with law school. So I was a, a molecular bio and biochem major. I had lots of wonderful STEM professors who wanted to write about what an amazing pipetter I was and you know how I could do you know like acid-base calculations, like just like boom, like that. Less helpful for law school. They was, you know, some, there's some skills there, like analytical ability, critical thinking, being, you know, a nice person that they could talk about pipetting, maybe not so much. Um, intro language classes is another example, where often those classes are really small and you have a really nice relationship. 
but just the skill set is so different that what they can say about you is less helpful for law school. So just be thoughtful about who you're picking um, when you have choice. And we understand that not everyone has choice. One thing that never really matters is how quote unquote important the recommender is, is we say always go for substance over signature. We're much more interested in the content of the letter than who signed it at the bottom. Um, Non-academic letters, when if ever are they appropriate, Miriam? So I think they should never substitute for an academic letter if you have the opportunity. So if you can submit two academic letters, you should. Some people may have been out of school for a really long time or maybe not even such a long time and those, those academic relationships have weakened, um, in which case it's fine to substitute professional letters of recommendation. If you're getting a professional letter, you should try to get the professional uh, letter writer to write about things that are more similar to that academic skill set. Better for them to be writing about research and writing, analytical ability, those kinds of things, rather than things which I know are really important to being a good lawyer, like multitasking and you know, client, you know, being able to speak well with others. Those things are good too. But if you're substituting it for an academic letter, you want to make sure they cover the academic stuff as much as is possible. One category of letters that really I, I can say almost definitively yes. never works um, and can at worst showcase bad judgment are family friends, family members. It's not the best look. Um, your friends. Your friends. Really anyone who's a peer, it tends to be less effective as a recommendation. Um, anyone who knew you as a child tends to write about what you were like as a child, which we, we don't always know how to, how to take that. Yes. Anything from high school. I actually just read a relatively strong application today. And then there's a letter from a high school teacher. And I was like, what is like, it was just so odd. Um, and two things that we're assessing throughout the application Well, three things I'll say that we're assessing throughout your writing abilities that matter a lot to law school and the legal profession, your judgment you know, there's lots of ways to show bad judgment. Um, not following directions is one of them. Having letters from, you know, kind of inappropriate recommenders is another. Uh, and then the other one is your attention to detail. So, you know, if we say put this header on your essays and you don't, that's not great. If we say we want our activity section structured like a chart or a list and you don't, that's not a good look. So paying attention to details, reading instructions, those are some like, things that we're assessing overall throughout the application. Okay, how many? Letters. How many? So for both Harvard and Yale, you are required to submit at least two letters of recommendation. For Harvard, you can submit a third. And for Yale, um, correct me if I'm wrong, you can submit up to four. Yes. It is rare that all four are adding the same value as the first two. Yes. Often two very effective letters yes. are much more impactful than a, adding a third that kind of dilutes the impact. Agreed. So you should feel great if you have two good letters and just stop while you're ahead. Yes. The application is not a more is more thing. A shorter resume is often better. You know, not going over the page limit for the essays is often better. Submitting a couple strong letters is often better and shows good judgment. Um, okay, so what should the letters include? So again, we've already talked about the skills that they should cover. That's a key piece of it. They can also, though, provide some nice information about who you are as a student and as a community member. Did you overcome a really tough midterm? Did you help your fellow students who were struggling in the class? Were you a really important person who validated and reflected back on other people in classroom discussions? So sometimes people will say the most lovely things, you know, this person always gave credit to someone else for their idea. You know, in the group project, they were the glue that held the group together. Those are just really lovely things that tell us about who you are. And that third factor about are you nice can really help us get a sense that you are. Um, and then the final thing that can be really helpful is context about your academic program. Were you in a selective major? 
did you win an award that was a really big award in the department that the whole faculty in that department voted on and you were the top student? Giving us that context can be extremely helpful as well. In general, um, if you can coach your letter writers, and you can, you can share, you can share this recording of this podcast episode. Or we have say, a letter writing tip sheet on our website. Yes. yes. Um, it's, it works best if they focus on areas where they have firsthand knowledge. So what you were directly like in class. Um, it's less helpful for them to, for example, recite your resume. Don't worry, we've already got your resume. Um, focus on the areas where they've really seen and connected with you. And there's not really a need for the recommenders to provide lengthy course descriptions. Oh, I've noticed every I recommender- I hate the course descriptions. <laughs> it's so um, tedious. Every recommender, by the way, thinks that they teach the most difficult course in the major. <laughs> my, my course, so just to provide I am some known context. as a hard grader. <laughs> exactly. Um, no one says they're an easy grader. I think, have you ever seen someone say they're an easy grader? No. Never. They all think they're very rough. So we discount that, obviously. They all think they're very, very dramatic. Very tough, yes. Um, but things like these course descriptions or telling us uh, a summary of your personal statement can feel like filler because it is. Yes. So shorter, shorter can be much more impactful. And finally, on the being a nice person note, this, I deeply believe that professors, a part of their job is writing letters. I think it is one of the responsibilities of the job. And I think good professors really take that seriously. They're humans. They're really busy. They have personal lives, professional lives. Give them notice. Help them. Uh, remind them what you did in the class. Maybe provide the paper and the, whatever notes they get. Just help them um, write you the best letter possible. Give them lots of time and say thank you. So I know that sounds basic, but sometimes it's easy when you got caught up in the process to kind of forget those little things and it will help help them help you is a really good thing to think. Did right. we do it? Did we cover yes, the so basics? Okay. Q&A. I love Q&A, it's my favorite part. Um, okay. When you registered for this, you submitted your top question and we went through all of them in the Seattle airport this morning. Yes, we did. <laughs> in the lounge, yes. In the lounge, and we decided which ones. They had the best food at that lounge, actually. Tofu scramble, I was like, what is this? This is incredible. <laughs> yeah, delish. Okay, am I doing these or are you doing them? I'm doing them, okay. All right, here we go. So this is a question from Mia um, and she asked whether you need to know what kind of career you want now and address it in your application. So what do you think on this, Christy? So you do not need to know what career you want now, um, nor could you really. There's so much you're going to explore in law school. I mean, your mind's gonna be blown time I and again. I wrote about wanting to be a dean of admissions in my application. No, of course I didn't, because you have no idea what your career is going to be. And even if you do have some sense of what you might want to do with your career, you're under no obligation to necessarily address it in your application or sign on the dotted line of this is exactly the type of job that I want to have in the future. I do think you should make sure the why am I going to law school question is not left open. Uh, and it could be a specific career in law. It could be more generally, you're really excited about being a lawyer and you talk about it more generally. But if we read the whole application and we're like, why the heck is this person going to law school? That is not good. Yes, but it, it's more about sharing your motivation yes. and your interests and your vision as opposed to declaring here and now that you're going to have any particular type of career. Okay, so I'm gonna ask you first and then I'll answer it too. Two, I thought, nice short questions. And this is from Madison. What is an overlooked part of the application? And then Brian asked, what part of the application do you think is the hardest for applicants? Okay, so overlooked and hardest. So I think that the letters of recommendation, in my view, are the most overlooked by applicants. And perhaps that's because you are in less control of them, right? You have control over who you ask. 
um, but not necessarily what they write, but putting a lot of good thought into who's going to provide strong letters of rec, I think are probably the most overlooked. What would you say? I think, and this is Yale specific, we have an activities section, um, which is a really important. Like we view the resume as a backup to our activities section. We have very specific instructions on how we want you to structure it. It is hugely important. In a good application, I can read the activity section and almost predict the personal statement. You really get a sense of who the person is, what they care about, what their priorities are, what their commitments are. And it tells you a lot about them. And I think some people just phone that in. They find it really annoying. We're not asking to you know, bust your chops. We're asking because it really matters and really helps us assess your application. Okay, okay hardest. what's hardest? I think talking to, at this point, thousands of prospective students, I think it's not so much often writing the essays, but picking a topic yes. and going through the whole process of identifying. Because it's not just it's what should I write my essay on. It's, it's, um, it's sort of a who I am question. So give yourself lots of time for that. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. And you, but also don't get caught up in it. I think sometimes people get so hung up on writing the best thing they've ever written that they freak themselves out and then they just can't do it. It is functional. It is a functional piece of writing. It has a specific purpose and a specific audience. It needs to be tight and good and thoughtful, but don't tie yourself in knots. Okay, I like this question. This is from Anika or Anika, I'm not sure how to pronounce, so I apologize if I mispronounce. Has there been anything about the responses to the new sections of our applications that has surprised you? Okay, so um, one response that we got to our new essay prompts was uh, for, from some corners, I think of a feeling of, um, frustration of why are they asking me to write something different? I've, for some, we announced the new essay prompts at the beginning of August. And so for some people, perhaps they'd spent some time already crafting a personal statement or optional statement as we used to call our two different, um, our two different prompts. Uh, but know that for both the statement of purpose and the statement of perspective, much of what you've already brainstormed or maybe even written could be utilized for one of those prompts. You just want to be thoughtful about whether what you've written addresses each of those prompts. So for me, I'm surprised at how good they are. I was really worried as, you know, it was really fun to go through and be like, we're creating from scratch new essays. And then you're also terrified. What if they're terrible? And, you know, you kind of hurt the applicants and hurt yourself. I love them like so much more than I thought I would. So that's been a big surprise. And the other thing that's been interesting to me is I was wondering if there would be like one that everyone used, you know, of these four options. And there's definitely a couple that are more frequent, but we get answers to all of them. Um, and I kind of love that too. It, it really feels like we're giving people different kinds of opportunities and people are uptaking them. And that has been a surprise to me and a joy. All right, we got a, a, actually a couple of questions, three or four about um, from folks who have a military background. So the first question, I'll just give a couple of them, is how we value applicants with a mil military background, and then whether there's negatives or concerns with admitting current or former service members, for example, that they might have difficulty adapting to uh, civilian life. And those are from Alejandro and Richard. Do you and want I think to those are great. First? Yeah, so a huge priority for YLS, um, this is coming from Dean Birkin down, has been to really increase um, the number of community members who are from um, a military background. That's something that um, Dean Gurkin feels really strongly about and we feel strongly about in admissions. We think that the value of their experience, um, what they bring to the table in terms of the way they contribute to the community is extremely important. And um, it, it, it really has been one of the most fun things to do is to really diversify in terms of enlisted versus officer and the branches and just having more folks on campus. Um, so I, I think it's just an incredibly important thing. We really want people with diverse backgrounds and experiences and it's such an important um, 
form of service for all of us. And so to have folks like that who've really, you know, put themselves on the line for all of us, it really is like a gelling thing for the community. Um, are there any negatives? I think the, I don't think this is a negative at all. I think it's important for, for all applicants, including military applicants, to explain why the pivot. Definitely a big pivot. Um, law school should not be a default, like, oh crap, I'm out of the military, what do I do next? Like we have to see how, um, what your goals are, whether they're connected in any way to your service or not. It may be, I have a passion for tax law, amazing. It could be, I'm really interested in national security or international law based on my service. Either is fine, but I think it's important to be thoughtful and to make sure it doesn't come across as a default. Do you agree, disagree? I think, I, I agree. Okay. I think that works. Okay. I will also say that the in terms of um, the student body, I've noticed that a lot of our students really respect and value the yes. presence of people who have served in the armed forces and they're in their 1L sections and in their extracurriculars and kind of just as part of their lives. And often they observe, uh, so people who've never served observe that those who have really bring a deep grounding presence to class yes. discussions. Yes. So this, I put this question next because I think it is related in a way, which is the advice you'd give to someone who's been in the workforce for many years and is now seeking a career change. Because in some ways that's often true of people who are service members. They, they too have had a significant work experience and are now um, you know, sort of changing paths a little bit. So what advice would you give to those folks who are, who are switching into a new career? I think it can depend on whether the shift to law feels like a hard pivot that probably you'll want to address at some point in your application, or at least craft your application in such a way that it showcases why this pivot or whether it feels like it, it's more of a natural transition. Um, and the line between those two can be very different. Um, and it's not just about which industry you're transitioning from or whatnot, um, but it's really the same advice for lots of people, which is like knowing your why and um, showcasing your why. I do think that those who are engaged in more of a hard pivot. So uh, we have a student who is a 2L who was at KPMG for literally decades, like was you know, very high up at KPMG. And when I interviewed him, I was like, so what, what you do? Why are you leaving what, your lucrative and successful what's going on? to go back right? to school? Um, yes. you're, you're a decade older than me and yes. you're going to go to law school? Tell yeah. me more. And, it, and know that for an admissions officer, that really comes from a deep point of curiosity, not from a point of skepticism. skepticism. Yes. And that was Troy's question. So that was a great question. Um, okay. So this is Rachel's question. I think it's a great one. Do you have any advice for applicants who are waiting for decisions in the anxious waiting period? What do you think, Christy? Um, develop a wonderful hobby that doesn't involve <laughs> not spend your time phone. on Reddit. Don't, um, the status checkers are pretty, in my view, borderline useless. Yes. There's nothing that you're going to discern from the status checkers that you wouldn't already know from the fact that you haven't received a decision on your application yeah. yet. We once had to do like a technical update in our system and it like changed like for some people, but not everyone, something on our like applicant portal. And like the Redditverse went insane. And I was like, <laughs> this was literally like us doing a background tech fix and people were speculating. Does this mean we're getting interviews? Does this mean they're releasing decisions? It meant nothing. And people just like over-index and go get themselves kind of crazy. Put it aside, try not to pay attention. Think back to my day where we had to wait for like envelopes in the mail. There was like no communication, just that's what's gonna happen. It's basically gonna be like, you know, come out of the blue. Um, okay, so how would you describe the rigor of law school as compared to undergrad uh, and advice on how to prepare? This is from Jacqueline. I think it's probably different from law school to law school, but in general, I think it's fair to say that law, schools, law school is a very, very demanding academic experience. 
one thing that I at least found very different from undergrad it was the, the sense to which everyone around you is kind of studying the same thing and, and thinking about a lot of the same questions. And even if you're in an entirely different set of courses as a 2L, you are in some ways developing a similar mindset and methodology and approach to solving problems out of a lot of your classmates. And I found that very different from undergrad where you know my um, I was like a social theory concentrator and my roommate majored in romance languages. And we just like, you know, you never totally different, yeah. but even just the way we approached the, the cadence of our academic coursework was completely different. Our schedules were really different. Um, law school is a little more united that way. The only other thing I'll say is that that first semester, it feels like a new language. Um, there's a lot of jargon. There's a lot of technical terms and it's not taught like, let me define this for you. It's just like they start, it's like when you go to a language class and it's, it's an immersion version. Um, and I think that can feel very jarring for a lot of people. And a lot of people are like, oh God, it's just me. I don't know what's going on. I don't understand. No one understands. Expect not to understand that whole first semester and don't, don't think, oh, that means you did something wrong. So that's just my only tip. And then finally, I'm going to, I'll answer this one because I think it's the same sure. for both of us. What do our students like the most about wine less than each of us? They like each other. We, like, we are so lucky, I think both of us to admit truly like amazing people, almost without exception. Um, they are smart and they are passionate and they are nerdy and they love school and they love each other. And it's like just really, really fun. Um, and so I think it's really, um, that's like a joy and a blessing. It feels like it's one of the things I think we both like best about our jobs is getting to hang out with our current students. And I think you will also find, um, oh, we're going to get the mic, that, that if you, whatever school you go to, that your peers um, are going to be one of the best parts. Okay. We're going to open the floor. Yes. I sprained my ankle. So Christy's the runner tonight. In Chicago, John. At the University of Chicago, yes. <laughs> the flattest city in America. Yes. So it, makes sense. <laughs> yeah. exactly. it was out to get me. I'll, do, I'll give you the honors of calling okay, on someone. So who has a question? Okay. If you wouldn't mind, you're going to be recorded. You're good? Okay. Um, and if you wouldn't mind sharing your first name. Uh, so I'm Eric. Thank Hello. you for doing this. Um, I was wondering, since I mean, most of us here are probably like from the West Coast, how does that impact our application to these East Coast schools, if um, at all? Do you want to take it, Christy? Sure. So California is the most represented state in the Harvard Law School student body every year that I have on record. There's just a lot of you in California, but also I think there's a fair amount of West Coasters who kind of like the adventure of going somewhere different maybe for a couple of years. And a lot of our students and graduates return to the West Coast. How does it differ for the application process? I'm not sure it would differ in terms of our assessment of your application at all. Um, I do see that lots of folks from the West Coast are thinking a lot about kind of um, how they want to structure their lives and, and where they might want to go, but that's kind of a you question for you. <laughs> I'll, I'll, this is like a good moment to mention the difference between sort of national law schools and regional law schools. Um, and that's not one is better and the other is worse, it's just sort of a difference. Um, both of our schools are really national. Like our students come from all over the place and they go back to all over the place. There are many wonderful law schools where most of their students are coming from a single state or a single region and most graduates stay in that state or region. If you wanna end up in California, you should either go to a school that is a regional state school here or go to a national school. Don't go to a school that is regional in a different region because it will, it's not impossible, but it will be more challenging often to get yourself back. Okay, hey, who else has a question? Hi, my name is Isidro. And um, my question is regarding the recent affirmative action case. Um, 
California banned the practice of affirmative action in 1996, and it took schools like UC Berkeley and UCLA nearly two decades to bring the number of minority students back to where they were prior to 1996. Um, so I'm just curious to know um, how Yale and Harvard are approaching this this recent decision and um, you know, uh, like what that process is going to look like for minority students moving forward. Yeah, I can I can take that if you want. I mean, that's obviously a huge question and one I'm sure both of us have thought about an enormous amount in both the run up to the decision and then over the summer. There's a lot of things we can't say, both because some of it is um, sort of internal and also because there's a lot of things we don't know. Um, obviously, you know, there's some things that are clear, you know, we are no longer going to have you know, race and ethnicity information on our applications. That's something that is clearly not allowed anymore. And both of our schools are very committed and will be complying with the decision. How that will play out, I think is a little bit TBD. Um, and I don't think we'll know really, as you said, maybe not even this year. Maybe it'll take us a couple of years to figure out all the ways. I can speak for Yale when I say, and our, our Dean put out a statement when the decision came out, nothing has changed our commitment or our values. I think we are very committed to having um, diverse student body across many axes. Um, including um, ideology and you know background and experiences and you know all the axes that matter. We care deeply about that, but the law is the law, and we will of course be following it. Yeah, and I'll just add. I, I think some some of it may depend on the behavior of applicants themselves and whether applicants opt to uh, opt out of applying to certain schools. Um, and I think we have to. We'll see what happens. And really hope that that that's not what happens. Um, I think, you know, we can't admit people who don't apply. And so I, I really think, especially in this, this period of, of unknown, which I know is anxiety for us, and I'm sure for you, just to make sure that you're applying wisely as you always would to a wide range of schools that you think really excited Hi, my name is Sarah. I would have attended this event regardless of your answer. But what does it, um, what impact does attending events like this, your Zoom events, your in-person events, what impact does that have on an applicant and the tours? None. And None. We, we hope that it has a wonderful positive on impact. Us, on you. We, we hope you enjoy it. We hope you learn something. We, we hope it. it helps you um, craft your applications, but in terms of the selection process, no, no impact at all. Which I know is confusing because at the college level, I think it, it could. My sense, and I don't want to speak as an expert, I'm not, but my sense is that they do track interest and they, that's something that's important um, at some schools probably more than others. But this is a professional school. We're very aware that not everyone has the resources, the ability, frankly, the knowledge to come to stuff like this. And there's no world in which we would want to penalize people or give an advantage to people. Um, who do it, we do it for, for you in the hopes that this will be helpful um, and anxiety reducing um, and you know, information increasing. So it's a very reasonable question. Oh, we're switching sides of the room, okay, yes. Hello everyone, my name is Genesis Lewis. I'm a recent graduate of Howard University. And so my question is, with applications being on a rolling admission, do you guys feel that it's best to apply by a certain date or just get your application in before that February deadline? That's a very good, that's a very common and excellent question. For Harvard and Yale, I don't think it matters at all. It does not. 
I, I know for Yale, the way Yale structures their application process, it doesn't matter. Miriam, you can say more about that in a moment. For Harvard, I, I actually did this blog post last year called Changing My Tune on Applying Early. Because once upon a time, when I started this job, I was like, wow, it probably makes a big difference if you apply earlier. And then I saw five application cycles and I was like, it doesn't make a difference at all. There's not a single application I can think of where it's like, oh, you know, we would have admitted this person if they applied in September, but they applied in October. So, oh, well. And Conversely, there's nobody who was really, really amazing who applied right on the deadline who didn't get in who I thought would. I, I agree with that 100%. I, and that may not be true at all schools. I, I can't speak for them. There may be schools where it does make a difference, but I can say for Yale with certainty, it is we are timing agnostic. And so you have right up until February 15th. We get the most applications on February 15th, like within hours of the deadline of any other few hours. And every year we're just like waiting for the deluge and then we have to scramble to read them all. So for our sake, feel free to apply not on the deadline day. It really makes my life easier. For your sake, it does not matter. And remember that you're going to see, right, that there's people who start getting decisions earlier rather than later. They all start 1L orientation the same day. It will feel like forever from when you submit to when you hear. It is really at most like five or six months. In the grand scheme of life, it's a very short period of time. So just like, you know, as, as we said, don't do the status checkers, stay off the interwebs and just be patient and it will, it will be over soon. Hi, thank you both so much for doing this um, and for creating your podcast, which has been such an amazing resource. My name is Annika and- Oh, oh uh, yes. I got it. I, one of the two ways I pronounced it was right. Yes, thank okay. you. Yeah. Um, so I have heard from your podcast that you really like people with diverse interests, of course, um, but as I've followed my genuine intellectual interests, I've found that I've created an application that just screams law. Um, and I am a little bit worried about if that could be considered a disadvantage, particularly if I write a Yale 250 that is law related. So I wanted to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, so I think it's good. It is, it is not the only way to be good, but I don't think there's a problem with applying to law school with a resume that screams love law. law. That is totally <laughs> like a reasonable thing to do. Uh, my, someone who had my job in the past, who actually is the person who admitted my husband, um, he, he anyways, in her first year in her job. <laughs> um, so this woman, um, Megan Barnett, once said to me, we're not trying to admit necessarily well-rounded people, although that's great. It's good to be well-rounded. You're trying to admit a well-rounded class. So some of the people in the class are going to be people with really eclectic, diverse interests as one person. Some of them are going to be extremely focused. And what you want to make sure is that the class as a whole is well-rounded. So I think you're totally fine. You don't need to stress about it. I'm sure there are other people who have extremely eclectic interests, also totally fine. There's not a right or a wrong. Hello, uh, my name is Anthony. And I just had a question in terms of so I think that we see a lot of like eclectic personalities go through law school um, as well as like interests. And I think both of you highlighted like you prefer to admit nice people. Um, but I was just wondering if there are any other characteristics that you both desire and look for in applicants. Um, and that can be anything from their personality or like their interests. Or... I'll let Christy go first. I really like to see when somebody is proactive and a bit action oriented, and that can look different for different people, right? Um, I think we might have in our heads what it means to be action oriented, but I, what I mean by that is somebody who sees an issue or something that excites them or something that they find really infuriating. I mean, they have a reaction to something and their instinct is, how can I address this? And what role can I play? How can I use my skills and my talents to address something that's important to me? So the two things, I could say many things about this, but I'll say only two. 
I like people who are intrinsically motivated, which I think is a little bit connected to what Christy is saying. Right. There's something that's animating them. You know, the things that they're doing are not like checking boxes or, oh, I think this is what people want to see. You can just tell that they're actually passionate about, it could be anything, but that they're, they're being driven by something inside of them. And something that I was just speaking to someone on our faculty about recently, and it really resonated with me, is people whose thinking is nuanced. The world is really complicated. There's no, it's, you know, very few issues are black and white, except for not having a letter of recommendation from like a family friend, <laughs> that's black and white. But very few things are like that. Um, issues that are important are ones that are hard to solve. And so when you see people who, who see that, they see the complexity and nuance, it, I, to me, that is something that I really find um, impressive. Should we do one more? Yeah, let's do one last one. You, you Such you good choose. questions. You choose. Oh no, okay, back row. Because I was a ba I always sat in the back row. That's you. Yeah, don't look behind you. You're back. I always sat in the back row in law school. Um, hi, my name is Justin. Um, I just want to ask, to what extent you guys are reviewing um, applicants' like life outside of their application itself? So like social media profiles, posts, um, internet personalities. Um, just because I feel like that's like pretty timely right now with the Hamas war, and I think um, at the moment, like whether you say something or say nothing about it online like um it's very easy to get uh criticized for that and i was just wondering um if y'all are reviewing that so i will say you should assume we are because sometimes we do um the bandwidth of our staff to review the entire internet profile of every applicant is not there so I, we do it very rarely usually there's something in the application you're like hmm, like what is that? Or you're like, huh, like a little, you know, antenna goes up, either in a good way where you're like, oh, I'm so excited about this project. Let me Google it and see more. Or sometimes in a, uh, let me check this out kind of thing. Um, but the percentage of times that we do that, I think certainly for us is, is not anywhere close to the majority. It's a small minority. But you, and this is like more life advice, frankly, than law school application advice. You should be able to stand behind everything you have online. Um, and you know, what, if there's something that you're feeling uncomfortable, and it may be even something that's controversial, but if you feel really good about being asked about that, I think it's totally fine. Again, we are looking for people who are nice and respectful and collegial. Um, and so I think that's not about topic or side, that's about the way that you speak about things. Um, I say this sometimes about essays. You can write about almost any topic, no matter how quote unquote controversial, in a way that is professional and respectful. It's not about the content, it's about the tone. And I think that's true of online profiles as well. I can't, I cannot think of a time where we ever sort of freestanding Googled an applicant out of nowhere. It's typically where you, maybe the person founded a nonprofit and the resume provides a, a briefer description. Yeah. And I'm curious about just, you know, what's the scope of this nonprofit? I'm not really sure from the resume and I might take a look at it. Um, or somebody is, uh, has an opinion column in their college newspaper and they have some selected publications. And I'm like, oh, Kind of interesting i'm curious what they said about that but usually i'm looking for something very specific and certainly digging into things like social media in, in my view um, whether or not an admissions office is the bandwidth it's kind of fraught you there's you don't really have an assurance of whether the person this is actually the person so many common names how would you even know a lot of the time it, it seems like not a good call in any event um but like like uh, Miriam was saying for Yale at Harvard, we wouldn't have the bandwidth anyway to do it in such a way that it would be thorough, helpful, and fair. I agree. 
<laughs> I agree with everything she says. Any final words? Any final words? No, I, only to try to, as much as you can, and I'm gonna, actually, this is something that you often say and I'm gonna borrow it, to try to view this in the most positive way possible, that this is a process of like looking inside and like getting excited about your future. It's a discernment process um, of figuring out what you care about and how you wanna present yourself. And so we know it's super stressful. Um, we know it's very time consuming and expensive. And you know, we don't expect, I don't wanna say to, for it to be fun, but like with everything in life, try to see the silver linings of this um, and you know, get the most out of it for yourself that you possibly can. Reconnecting with recommenders, writing a piece that you're really excited about, all of those kind of like good silver lining stuff. My last thought is just that I, I really do deeply believe that if law is the right profession for you, I think you will find it rewarding and intellectually engaging and really exciting day in, day, day out. It will challenge you. It will frustrate you. It will take a lot out of you. Um, and you'll feel like you're giving a lot to your clients and to the causes that you're supporting and the work that you're doing. Um, but I think you'll gain a lot. I'm, I'm excited that you're excited for law. Yeah. All right. I think that's it. Thank you Thank so much you for having me.